I'm Jake Watson, and this is the Saints Unscripted podcast, where we have conversations about faith crisis, topics that may be triggering about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the Gospel, church history, prophets, the Book of Mormon and the Bible, and so many other things. This is Season 1, Faith Crisis. And I think back on this and wonder how I stayed Wow. Uh, especially in the context of this conversation. But his response was, uh, uh, he said, he's like, Taylor, you need to know that, that I love you. But uh, here we go. But he said, but you need to understand something. Tonight, when I'm done talking to you, I'm going to talk to a member. I'm going to a member's home in the ward who just got out of prison. Uh, he's trying to repent of committing murder. And he said, besides him, Taylor, you've committed the biggest sin of anyone I've worked with. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Saints Unscripted podcast. Uh, This is still season one, Faith Crisis. And we're going to talk with Taylor today uh, from Saints Unscripted. You might recognize him, of course. We're really happy to have him on. And I really wanted Taylor to come on to talk about this topic because it seems like we've made, you know, a few episodes with Taylor concerning repentance. And, you know, as you know, I'm involved with Saints Unscripted filming. And so I just, I watch all the episodes as we're filming them. And I really wanted him to come and talk for, you know, a long time, (laughs) sort of a long time, or just not be barred by time by the 15 minutes usually of Saints Unscripted, but to have you to just get really deep into this conversation because you have a lot to say and a lot of good stuff to say. And so thanks for being on, Taylor. Yeah, I'm glad you think I have good stuff to say. <laughs> I definitely flattered. do. <laughs> and so, like like I said, we're going to talk about repentance today. And I feel like, at least with my experience, and I, I still feel like I feel this way a little bit, but that repentance is scary. Like, hmm. And if you ask me why I think that, I don't know if I could really give you a good answer. It just It just feels scary feels like it should be scary right (laughs) almost because on one hand i feel like i believe that you know heavenly father is extremely loving Mm -hmm. and even jesus died to help with the sin right right that was the whole purpose of him coming and experiencing that was so that he could experience firsthand what it was like so that when he got back on the other side and became our judge he'd be like oh i know what that's like it's okay you know the whole point was to yeah. increase the mercy right but we kind of write that off sometimes we feel like he's at least sometimes because he's not stingy no <laughs> he's not he doesn't make you fill out this checklist of things that you need to do to repent or feel a certain way necessarily right but just anyway so it's it's kind of been crazy to to start to learn you know what repentance is and try to newly understand yeah. what it is that it's a loving process it's a you know it's a it's a you feel good when you start to repent and turn towards god yeah anyway but even even then even though i know that sort of i still am scared <laughs> Just weird. i think one of like the best ways to realize that repentance isn't scary is to just repent because <laughs> i think like even i don't know even for for me who I've I've been through you know I've repented a lot in my lifetime and even now it's it's still a scary process and but every time like the only part of repentance that's scary is the moments up to the point of repentance and from that point forward you're like what the heck was I was I scared of all this time and it just becomes this it becomes a sweet experience uh, almost enlivening experience where you become a new person and um in some situations like you feel like you have i've felt even that i have more energy you know depending on how heavy of a toll uh sin was taking on me beforehand um i've always found that whenever i do actually repent i i just feel happier and more alive and it's just no matter how many times i go through that for some reason it always gets scary again and like you go through the process you're like okay this isn't scary next time yeah it's like (laughs) nope 
Nope. No, it's just for some reason. We got to get it through our heads. Like every time in college, <laughs> a test would come up or I know of a test date. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm going to study. I'm going to do it this time. <laughs> Liar. And then you never do it. And then it's the night before <laughs> I just cram. And then I do. And then I, I'm praying like crazy, please. Oh, yeah. Heavenly Father, next <laughs> test I will do. I will study. Please help me with this one. Yeah. He helps me. Good. And for like four or five years straight. That's how it goes. Never studied. <laughs> and then I remember taking the last test. I'm like, oh, man, I am so sorry. I totally botched that. And you're <laughs> finally graduating. You're like, I have no more tests to <laughs> yeah. study for and make up for this. Right. I, so God was like, man, you know, I, I wanted you to grow there. Yeah. <laughs> but, you <didn't. laughs> but you know what? Even in those moments, what's crazy, and this is a good analogy, is that God was always merciful. He, was. he he always blesses you, even though he knew for a fact that you probably that you weren't going to just because he knows everything. He knew that uh, you weren't ever going to actually study, but he knew that in that moment, your intent to study next time was real. Yeah. And he's like, all right, I get it. And so I, I just remember because I've had the same experiences when I would have a test, you know, and I'd be like, all right, Heavenly Father, I have not prepared as well as I could have <laughs> for this. <laughs> but I but in this moment, I have done everything that I can right now. I could have done more before, but I but I didn't. And so please just give me whatever help that you're capable of. Uh give me whatever help that you know that I qualify for, whatever. Just <laughs> you know, help me get through it. And for some reason he always does. He does. It's so oh, it's so cool. That was Realizing that towards the end of my schooling was, you know, that he did help me all the time. Mm -hmm. it, it was it was so cool. And that is cool that you kind of tied that with like our topic today. Yeah. Like I wasn't even thinking perfect, of that before. It's a perfect parallel. Because he knows what we're going to do. He knows mm -hmm. like I could be super sincere today. Heavenly Father, I am going to try so hard to not do or to do X, Y, and Z. Right. And he knows that we'll <laughs> probably end up doing X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. But it's so cool that he realizes that intention. Yeah. And he and obviously he knows that we're imperfect and that we're trying and that we are never actually going to reach perfection. Right. In this life. Yeah. We are constantly going to be coming back to him. Oh, Heavenly Father, I'm so sorry. And it's I'm usually, so it's got to be the same thing over and over again. Yeah, it's I, never going <laughs> to change. You know, maybe our intentions and our, and our, you know, zeal to follow him and to be pure mm -hmm. can develop and become better. But like, oh my gosh, we're just, we're never going to reach that point. I'm sadly, Ever. no. It's sad. It's no. crazy to think that. And it's, it, at first it's discouraging because I remember when I was a teenager, I had you know, different struggles and whatever. And uh, when I, I finally got my patriarchal blessing um, right before my mission and it's, it's okay to share a, a, a little snippet, right? Of, oh, absolutely. Of Basically it says something to the effect of um, that Satan had had an influence in my life and that he will continue to have an influence in my life. And like at that moment, like it was, it was kind of eye-opening to me. It was a little bit discouraging because I suddenly realized like, wow, I've been through this, this, this period where Satan had a real influence on my life and now I'm done with it. I've, I've moved on. Like that's not me anymore. And then here's this patriarchal blessing, this patriarch telling me like, by the way, Satan's going to, he'll come back. And, uh, it's, it's kind of sobering, uh, because you realize that you're not, you're not, you're not perfect, that you're not mm. unstoppable. And I think on some level it's healthy to acknowledge that. So that you don't beat yourself up so much when, when it, when it happens, when he does come back, um, no matter what you've been through before, no matter what strong, powerful moments, even like Alma, the younger moments, you know, where you like come to and you're like, whoa, I'm, my heart has changed. I'm born again. No matter what experiences you go through, the possibility still exists that you will fall again. And it's not ideal and it's not something that you strive for, but it's okay to acknowledge that about yourself and to not try to hold yourself to unnecessary standards. Mm, I like that. And it helps to continue to rely on the savior. I feel like, yeah, like definitely. just saying that earlier, like I don't admit that. So that to myself a lot, where yeah. I say, oh, I'm never ever going to reach perfection in this life. 
I am never going to, you know, when I repent and tell Heavenly Father, I'm going to change. I'm never going to actually change, really. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm going to try to be better and and try to be more mindful and do the things like praying and, you know, reading the scriptures as much as I can, taking mm -hmm. the sacrament and trying to serve others. But I'm still going to be imperfect and there's yeah. still going to be this natural man inside me. But and I hate admitting that. And I don't know why I'm admitting that now, but it's some, somehow that feels good to say that Yeah, because you know that you have Jesus mm -hmm. who's on your side, who's behind you. He's, he's helping you. He's leading you along, you know, yeah. he, he's, he loves you perfectly and will forgive you and will perfect you, you know, when the time comes. Yeah. It reminds me of, this is something that for some reason is not very prevalent in the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints teachings. Um, we focus a lot on like, like turn to Christ, you know, strengthening and enabling power of the atonement. We, we use phrases like that a lot, but we don't admit often enough what Paul talks about in Romans that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God and that it was never God's intention that for us to be perfect. Like the whole reason Christ is here is because he knew we wouldn't be perfect. Like ever. <laughs> that's the idea. Like that's the point. And uh, I don't think we admit that often enough in the church. I know like uh, particularly other denominations of Christian of Christianity um, love things like that. They, they love the book of Romans. They love Paul, um, those, you know, all of his epistles. And uh, I think we kind of we, we kind of uh, we don't ignore them, but we don't treasure them as much as other scriptures the way that other Christians do. And I think that that's something that we could uh they could stand to change a little bit to help us understand more about the magnitude of Christ's atonement and our, like the smallness of our ability to compare with that. To actually do anything. <laughs> yeah. Like the whole point of, uh, of, I think, yeah, of, of Romans, I'm pretty sure it's Romans. And the whole point of Romans is for Paul to say like, look, uh, none of you are good people. There's no such thing as a good person. Even when somebody called Jesus Christ good, Christ was like, no, don't call me good. There's only one good person yeah. and that's God. Like, we're not good people. We're all sinners. We're all, we've all come short. And uh, the sooner you accept that about yourself, the sooner you can accept Christ into your life. And I think, anyway, we don't talk about that nearly enough. And I wonder if, if that leads into the misconception that I feel like a lot of Christian, other Christian churches outside of ours think that we harp on works, works too much mm -hmm. that cause, and that seems, and we tell them, no, 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 it's, we don't think that our works will save us, but we believe works are important. Yeah. And it's hard because, you know, they have such this strong belief and focus on the grace of God, mm -hmm. which you're bringing up. I think that would be really beneficial for us to maybe, yeah. or me personally, maybe to focus more on the grace yeah, of God. Me rather too. Than, <laughs> I got to really white knuckle this life to just try to be perfect rather than just trying to turn my heart, heart towards God and then accepting mistakes that I'll make and trying to fix them and do better. And yeah. And it's good to, strive to be better and strive True, to be yeah. like Christ. This isn't all to say like, Oh, don't, it doesn't matter what you do. I'm not saying that at all. Uh, because it really, I think what it boils down to is the, what we talked about earlier. It's the intent of your heart. Like, what are you trying to do? Who are you trying to be? And I think as long as you are sincerely trying, I don't think there's anything stopping God from blessing you for that and mm. having mercy for that. Yeah. Mm, cool. I like that. So why do we want to include this in, in the, the faith crisis season? Right. Yeah. Why, why do you think, why do you think we, we are talking about this right now? Um, I think, uh, for a lot of people, um, particularly members who have left the church, uh, I've come across, so on working on faith and beliefs, I come across a lot of, um, a lot of negative information because I, I end up doing lots of research and I have to gather like all the B roll and I go into the dark places of the internet to find some of the stuff that I find. And at least in terms of 
you know, Latter-day Saints, not the dark, dark sides. I don't go to those sides. <laughs> I just mean like, that's where my brain went. I was like, whoa, dude. I know. Right. No, not really. I, I go to this, like, um, I wind up in a lot of anti-Mormon forums and, and, uh, come across a lot of websites and blogs and stuff. Anyway, point is, uh, a lot of people that I've noticed draw attention to, uh, particularly bishops, um, and repentance in the LDS church Mm. um, and how those experiences negatively impacted them where they felt uh, spiritually or emotionally abused uh, where they were shamed or guilted heavily and punished for, uh, for something that they had done. And that really, really drives people away. And if it doesn't, it's, if it's not the driving force that pushes them away, whatever does push them away, um, they're going to take all of those experiences with the bishop with them. Like that sticks forever. And they talk about it forever. Um, even if it wasn't the reason that they left. And so I think the reason we're talking about this is to, to help our listeners, to help our viewers realize that, uh, that sometimes there's a lot of misconceptions, um, maybe a lot of misdirected, goodness, misguided attempts to do the right thing, um, particularly on the side of bishops uh, throughout, you know, the church's history. And a lot of bishops have made a lot of mistakes by not understanding repentance well enough, maybe. Um, And a lot of people have maybe left the church because they didn't understand repentance well enough. Um, I think that a, a a f- good discussion and a good understanding of repentance can help prevent faith crisis on all sides. Whether you're dealing with a bishop who doesn't know, as long as you know, that will help you. Um, if you're a bishop, if you know, if you understand repentance more fully, like that'll help you with the people you work with. I think if everyone just understood a little bit more about this, we could we could avoid faith crises more often. Yeah, I, I agree. Cause I, I do know people as well that, you know, either will try to talk to a bishop or go through this repentance process and then be totally shamed and yeah, guilt, you know, and just have a terrible experience. And it's hard because <clears throat> people, you know, that I know that have shared this with me has, they, they, they go to repent. Obviously the bishop is kind of a sitting in for God a little bit, or at least that's could be the perception. And if the Bishop is shaming you and rejecting you and chastising you, it's, I wonder if it's really easy. And and this is not really my experience. So that's why I'm more like, I wonder if it's really easy for those people to, Oh, so God rejects me. God is shaming me. I don't want to believe in that God. No, you know, I'm out of here. Right. Right. Yeah, no, definitely. And so this is an experience that I had that I want to share real quick uh, with something like this. So when I was a teenager, I was, I was about 17 years old and I had a girlfriend at the time and we had, we had done some things that Latter-day Saint kids should not be doing. Right. Um, We went a little bit too far and we didn't go. uh, we, We hadn't gone all the way. Um, but we had gone far enough and we were just naive enough to think that we had. And that's another side note. Utah sex education sucks because mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no one growing up, no one ever gave me that talk. Uh, I never got that talk. So, um, anyway, Utah could do a lot better than that. But anyways, <laughs> we had gone far enough to think that, that we had gone all the way. Right. And so I went in and like, I was like, we were both just like completely, harrowed you know we were like we were hating ourselves and Mm. just like terrified to do anything or talk to anyone and uh so i had gone to my bishop and i i told him that we had gone all the way right because that's what i thought had happened and uh his response his first response and i think back on this and wonder how i stayed wow uh, especially in the context of this conversation but his response was, uh, uh, he said, he's like, Taylor, you need to know that, that I love you, but, uh, here we go. But he said, but you need to understand something tonight. 
when I'm done talking to you, I'm going to talk to a member. I'm going to a member's home in the ward who just got out of prison. Uh, he's trying to repent of committing murder. And he said, besides him, Taylor, you've committed the biggest sin of anyone I've worked with. And no way. And I think back and I don't, sometimes I'm not sure uh, what his intention was. I know that, I don't know if he actually believed that. Uh, Some part of me wonders if he was just trying to make me feel bad, like make me realize the gravity of what I'd done. Like it comes from what? Alma 39 or whatever, where Alma's talking to his son, Corey Anton. And he's like, right. These things are abomination. And, uh, except for murder and denying the Holy Ghost. And he, he, even Alma in that chapter says, I wouldn't tell you these things if I wasn't trying to harrow your soul. And sometimes I wonder if that's all my bishop was trying to do. Um, but people leave the church for that kind of thing. You know, people don't like, like I, I was already 17 years old. I knew what I had done was wrong. I was coming to the bishop trying to get help. I didn't need to hear about how bad I was. Like I knew how bad I was. I was trying to be better. I didn't need to hear more of that, you know. Uh, I didn't have to see the bishop. Obviously, my heart was in a good place if I was trying to see the bishop, you know, and talk about it. So that always, uh, I reflected on that, like, throughout my mission and in the years since then. And, uh, like, it just, it appalls me. And it it makes me wonder if if he said that, how many other bishops uh, have said similar things? How many members of the church think those things? Uh, that like, if your sin is big enough to be basically murder, you know, like, what does that even mean? What does that mean about you? What does that mean about God uh, and the teachings of the church? And I'm sure a lot of people have been affected by those kinds of things. And I, I think it's very sad. Oh man. Hearing that freaks me out. I mean, it freaks me out for my future. Yeah. <laughs> if, I, if I'm going to ever sin. <laughs> well, and I just want to say like that. And I don't want, I just want to say like, I, I've worked with a lot of bishops throughout my life. He's like the only one who has ever done or said anything like that. I don't want to make viewers think like, Oh, all the LDS bishops are crazy okay. because first of all, uh, what he said was not true. Uh, that was not accurate to say that whatever I had done, uh, basically made me one step short of being a murderer. That's not true. Um, it's complete BS. And for some reason that teaching kind of exists in the LDS culture, kind of like as a, an underlying idea that, Oh, the three biggest sins are denying the Holy ghost, murder and adultery. Um, but really like there is no such thing as biggest or littlest sins. It's all just, it's, it's just sin. Like any sin is going to keep you out of heaven. Right. Because a few chapters later, after Alma says that to Corianton, like literally within five chapters, he's telling people, by the way, God cannot look upon any sin with the least degree of allowance. So he's basically saying, like, it doesn't matter. Like, you could have committed murder or you could have, like, gone out gambling. Like, either way, it's both of them are going to keep you out of heaven. So in reality, there is no big sin or little sin. It's all just it's all just sin. We've talked a lot about kind of stuff like that. Like, you know, what does it mean to be clean? What does it mean to be worthy? What does it mean to, or what is your sin doing to your worthiness? Right. Mm, Yeah. And what does it even mean to be worthy? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Um, Because if we're all knowing that we're imperfect anyway, like if we have that mindset, are we ever worthy ever? No. You know, that's yeah. technically not, not. I guess, yeah. right? Because we're not perfected anyway. So maybe that could lead into kind of your experience with, you know, being in that process of trying to repent and what you're doing or what bishops are telling you to do, what they're not telling you to do, what mm-hmm. what's worked, what, what what can help you feel like you've repented or yeah. what helps you during that repentance process? Anyway, could you talk a little bit about that? So fun fact about me, uh, shortly after I came home from my mission, I I went through uh, a few different life-changing experiences. Uh, I got engaged, called off that engagement. Um, and like I was down at college, I basically had no friends because I'm super antisocial. And uh, 
anyway, I was, I had just started, like I entered this super big depression phase where I was just, I felt alone all the time. And it was at this point, like that I actually became addicted to pornography and it was the first time that I had ever delved into that. Um, this is like 2015 and it wasn't, uh, I, I ended up struggling with this for, for, for years and, um, for, for about, for about three, three and a half years following that, I, I was basically in seeing bishops at minimum twice a month. Uh, sometimes I was in there once a week and I, I started to learn a lot about what it means to repent, uh, what it means to, to sin, uh, what it means to be worthy. Uh, and bishops were different. Um, I think throughout this time I met with uh, like four or five different bishops because I, I moved a lot, you know. I was in and out of college and in and out of college housing and wards are small and anyways... So I, I worked with, I had the opportunity of working with a lot of different bishops and they were all different. And there were some who kind of were like my, my first bishop when I was a teenager, who was like, you know, um, some, some wanted me like, okay, not like you can't go to the temple. Like, like let's take, let's remove your temple recommend. I don't want you in the temple or taking the sacrament until you're like three months clean. Wow. Three months. And for me at the time, like that was an impossibility, you know? And I was like, I was doing all the things that I felt like I should, you know, I was, I was praying all the time. I was reading scriptures all the time, um, trying to, to live the best way that I knew how. And I was meeting with the Bishop regularly and everything. And, at that point in my life, I couldn't make it past like a month. Uh, I think that was the longest that I had gone. And this bishop was like, nope, like got to be three months and three months clean. And then you can start taking the sacrament again. And then you can start going to the temple wow. again. And in my heart, this is, and I don't know if this is going to be like, you know, too pushy, <laughs> too pushing on it. But in my heart, like I had come to know, cause I had worked with other bishops before that, um, who were a lot different. And uh, had taught me that as long as I was trying, as long as I was, uh, like I said before, I'm in to see the bishop. That obviously means something about my heart. You know, if I didn't care, I wouldn't be here. And if I wasn't trying, I wouldn't be here every week, uh, you know. And so my bishops before, they were always like, yeah, I want you in the temple as often as you can be in the temple, no matter what. Like, even if you had a relapse today, go to the temple tonight. Wow. He's like, you don't need to talk to me. And uh, he said, basically, they all said, err on the side of taking the sacrament always. Um, if you take the sacrament, if God thinks you weren't worthy, then put it on my head. Like, well, I'll take the fall for that. You know, he's like, I want you taking the sacrament and being in the temple all the time, as often as you can be. And that really changed my perspective. So that by the time I met with this other bishop who was like, no, don't be in the temple. I was like, hang on. Like, I know, I know where my heart is. Like I've even, I had even like felt the spirit. Like I had a pretty, I grew a really strong connection with God during this time um, because I was repenting so often. And you know, the scriptures when they say like, that all things can turn to your good for those who walk uprightly before God. I think even sin can turn for your good if you're treating it the right way. And I'm not like tooting my own horn or anything, but I think throughout that time I was treating it the right way. And I had gained a really close relationship where like I was praying like after every relapse, like I would wind up on my knees, you know, and like just sincerely pouring out my, my guts basically, you know, and it took me a long time to transition from groveling, um, to, uh, I don't know how I would describe it. Like I started off groveling in my prayers, you know, after every time I had this relapse 
just feeling so awful and so dumb and so weak all the time and just pleading for God to forgive me. Um, but over time I grew and I kind of learned that God is eager to forgive you, uh, that he has, like, he finds, I think Jeffrey R. Holland once put it this way, that there is a thrill in being merciful. Um, like the moment you ask for forgiveness in sincerity, like you're, you're hurting, like you've done this awful thing. You feel awful. You turn to God. Why would he not forgive you in that moment? You know? And I slowly came to realize that what God wanted for me in those moments was like, all right, you're done. You've turned your heart away. Now stand up, hold your head high, look people in the eyes and fill your lungs full of air and move on. It's like, just get up. Uh, so I stopped all the groveling and I started like, I would get down on my knees and I would, you know, I would try to have this sincere, uh, conversation with the Lord. And once I was done with that, I would try to keep it short. And I would just, first thing I'd do is I would just stand up and I would go outside. I'm like, okay, I'm going to go do something with myself. And, uh, so anyway, all that said, it got to the point where I was meeting with this Bishop and he's like, don't go to the temple for three months. I'm like, I, I kind of, I nodded my head and I smiled and I was like, okay. And then I left. I'm like, no, I'm going to go to the temple. I, I didn't listen to that Bishop because like, even though, um, even though like we're encouraged to, and you should uh, err on the side of following your Bishop's counsel. Um, but at that point in my life, like I knew where my heart was and I knew where I stood with the Lord. And I never felt once that he was disappointed in me for going to the temple. Um, even at that point, even when the Bishop told me not to be in the temple, I'm like, I need this. This is something I, I have to do, uh, especially because at that time I wasn't in school and uh, I was just working like a nine to five job, which was really dumb. And uh, I, I didn't do anything with my life. I'm like, I need something. OK, so I would go to the temple and I never once felt bad for that. And I, I don't think that it was the wrong thing. Um, I think in an ideal world. God would have all of us have such a relationship with him that we wouldn't need bishops to tell us when to be in the temple or when to be taking the sacrament. They're there as a precautionary measure, but they shouldn't be the determining factor. Um, and sometimes I don't think bishops do as well as they could in obtaining the spirit of discernment. I don't think they get to know you well enough. I don't think that um, they try hard enough sometimes. And so if you find yourself in a position where like a bishop is not trying to get to know you and you don't feel like he's really receiving inspiration on your behalf, like following the Lord's counsel, um, I'd, I'd encourage you to feel free to seek the Lord's counsel yourself um, if you feel like you can do something like that. And if you feel like the bishop was not entirely correct in saying what he said and encouraging you to do what you're doing. Don't let that debilitate you and push you away. Be like, Oh, all bishops are awful sinners and they're fallen prophets and blah, 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 you know? And because sometimes I think people do that, um, instead of letting that affect you negatively, um, just be like, well, he's a guy, he's a man. Um, maybe he's going through something overly stressful in his life right now. He's a bishop. He's obviously got a lot on his plate in general. Um, and maybe he's just too tired to receive actual inspiration right now. Um, so if you wanted to take it to the Lord at that point, I would encourage that kind of behavior. Cause I think bishops are only there as precautionary measures, um, for the most part. And I, and in general rule of thumb, listen to the bishop. Um, don't just, you know, get rubbed the wrong way and say, well, I'm going to go seek the Lord's counsel. Like be honest with yourself, be honest with, with the Lord. Um, but I honestly think like things that the Bishop says doesn't have to push you away. Um, just realizing that they're humans and trying to verify it with the Lord, uh, will go a long way, I think. Um, because, 
I don't know. I think I just, I came to know that worthiness had nothing to do with, you know, how long I had gone without sinning. Um, worthiness had to do with what is my intention right now? Um, what am I doing right now? What is, what am I going to do next? Um, I think that has more to do with your, with your worthiness. Um, I, I kind of adopted a, a saying where I said, I would say to myself, a willingness is worthiness. If I'm willing now in this moment, if I'm willing to keep my covenants and to do better, then I am worthy to be in the temple. I am worthy to renew my covenants by taking the sacrament because that's what I'm willing to do. And really there shouldn't be any other standard of worthiness aside from your willingness to follow through at least I love in that. my opinion. <laughs> wow. So anyway. Oh my goodness. I love that. Willingness is worthiness. And that just, that makes so much sense. And that feels so right. And just knowing that like when you were going through that story, you know, Oh, you know, bishops would say one thing and Oh, you, you know, you, can't do anything until you've been three months clean or you can't do anything if you haven't done this or that and where you just ended up like okay you know I, I have to go to the Lord for this because I don't feel like I'm getting the correct counsel or the correct help here yeah. um, and I feel and I, I just kept having this thought in my head and like you know what if we just all knew me included right I'm not I don't always know this or believe this um as strongly as I wish, but just knowing and believing that, you know, God is so loving and merciful. Yeah. And he would never tell you to not go three months in the temple. Yeah. Like, no, no, no. You, you stay away. Wow. Stay away. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. And everything that I learned about God and his character and our relationship to him counters that sort of thinking. And anyway, I just, yeah. I don't agree with that. Exactly. Then you just go back to the prodigal son. <laughs> yeah. Like the dad didn't have this, when the son came home, the dad didn't go out to the gate and be like, okay, well, you know what? Uh, you're going to work for three months. And, and once if, I know that you're, once I know that you're really yeah. wanting to come back. Right. <laughs> then I'll, then you can come in and I can give you a hug. And we'll get, he we'll like kill the immediately. Calf and, everything. <laughs> and even the pro, the prodigal son, you know, he went through probably a change of heart a little bit and oh, yeah. learned a lot of things and was humbled. But that didn't mean that the prodigal son became this perfect guy. No. He probably had a ton of still natural tendencies to blow money away or to do bad things. Right. He didn't, All those habits don't just go away. Yeah. They're still And there. he may have had some relapses or some lapses yeah. and just like, oh, shoot, I'm doing this again, but I, I really want to change and try. And the dad, oh, it's just, that's such a beautiful story. Yeah. And we don't, and once again, I would say this again, um, a lot of church critics are right when they say we don't read or study or teach the Bible enough. And like, this is the kind of stuff that they're talking about Yeah. when we, we have this idea that we have to work for God's yeah. love or his mm -hmm. forgiveness, even, um, like when bishops use words like, oh, uh, I don't think you're quite forgiven yet. So let's keep working on this. I'm like, well, I don't think you're right about that. I don't say that in the interview Boom. and I don't let that rub me away and you know or anything i steep i keep going back to them but in my heart i'm like i just i know that that's not true um because i've already felt god's love since my time of relapse i guess um often i would have you know that relapse or whatever and then like i said i would always it was a goal of mine to be on my knees like before i do anything else like if i ever when I had a relapse before I went and did anything else I'd be on my knees. First thing, even if I didn't want to be or feel like it, um, to just try. And often, not every time, but often it was during that prayer that I began to feel the savior's love again, like that the Holy ghost returned. It wasn't as a constant companion, but like it returned to me in that moment. And I knew that, that I was okay, that, things were okay and that the Lord was like, all right, let's pick back up, get on your feet, let's move forward. And it didn't matter if some of those times I had a second relapse later that day and I would like reflect on that. And I'm like, well, why would you, why would you uh, love me? Why would you send the Holy Ghost to me if you knew that even later that day, uh, 
that I was going to have another relapse, you know? And, uh, it kind of made me think like, well, did I really truly repent the first time? And it, it sort of just drove it home to me that what God cares about is not how many times you sin, but how many times you try to repent. Like, I don't think God cares about how many times you sinned today. What matters to him is that you come back on your knees and talk to him about it tonight. You know, mm-hmm. um, how many times are you willing to come back? Uh, how many times are you willing to try again? Uh, I think that is way more important to God than how many times you've sinned. And uh, anyway, I think <laughs> I forgot what got me on that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I, I feel like I kind of got off on a well, just mainly that God just oh yeah, yeah loves yeah. yeah exactly. He's not going to keep you prodigal out of his son. house, or the prodigal son is not going to not let his son come over. It's like well. Go uh, clean the garage first, and then we'll talk. <laughs> and know? he didn't even, this, the father in that story didn't even just say, yeah, come on in. Let's just hang out, or I'm going to go work, but you'd stay here and rest. He's like, we are starting this huge party right now. Yeah. Here's and my he, best coat. Right. Kill the fatted calf. The We're big going thing. now. And We're, what's cool, what my favorite part about that is, is that even before all that, like he ran out to meet him halfway. Yeah. Like as soon as he saw him on the horizon, he's like, I'm going. So who knows and how he's far he's a powerful he made guy. Like yeah. he probably doesn't run for anything. Oh God. <laughs> or, no, uh, the, the father in that story. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. God. yeah. Oh, God pro- yeah. He's, he's a powerful guy too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah. And he runs all the way out there, probably meeting him more than halfway. Cause probably. I'm sure the son is, you know, he's like he's tired. He's probably walking, but the father, oh, he's, he's yeah. running out there. You I know what the son thought? What's my dad doing? I know he's I running know. at me. <gasps> But he but has he, a smile on his face. But he kept coming. And his arms are open for a hug. Or is yeah. it for a strangle? And I'm just kidding. <laughs> but like, oh, man, that is so powerful. I never thought of that. The son walking back and he sees his father running towards him. Like, what does he think about that? You know, or maybe his father's like overjoyed so he can. Oh, man, yeah. that is so powerful because and just and Jesus gave that parable. So obviously Jesus is talking about heavenly father in that right. respect. Mm-hmm. That he's running towards us. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And who better than Jesus than Jesus to know like this is what God would do yeah. in this situation. And Whoa. we totally don't even think about that most of the time. We're like, "Oh, God is up there. He's waiting for me to do better before yeah. he accepts me back in." Oh, no, that's not true. He's like running towards us. Yeah. If we're trying to turn back towards him. Oh my goodness. That's, that is so powerful. And what's cool about that story too, is that, um, the father didn't go to where the son was. Um, I think that's important too, to know that like the father wasn't like, Oh, I'll go get him or search for him. Yeah. Search for him. He's like, he, he waited for him to come back. And so that is an important thing to think about in when it comes to sin. Cause we don't want to, uh, the last thing I want for this, conversation to do is to convince people that they don't need to try. They don't need to do anything. It's important for you to have that change of heart like the prodigal son did and to be like, I need to go back, you know, and it's important for you to make that walk. Um, The Lord will be waiting and ready to receive you when you get there, but it is important for you to make that. Yeah, that's uh, a good point. To make that turn first. And who knows how long he took to walk. Yeah. He was from the city and he probably had to go out of the country, you know, just thinking in my mind, like logistics, different he parallels. probably had to go a long, long, long way yeah. and eat with the pigs <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and eat with the pigs. That's what he was doing. Yeah, that's, that's so cool. Very true. Yeah. Thank you for being so vulnerable. And, and this has been such a good discussion and yeah, I've learned so sure. much and, and I knew that getting you on the podcast would be such a treat for me <laughs> because I could, I could learn more about that. Cause I feel like I still don't quite understand, um, at least before today's, uh, recording, but now it, it's just, it just comes back to repentance and the atonement is just all about God's love for us and his mercy. And the, the fact that we'll just never, ever, ever be perfect in this life. Yeah. Unless, you know, Jesus appears to us and like makes us perfect, but we'll right. never do that ourselves. <laughs> and probably the majority of people who live on earth will never, ever, ever have that. No. And 
or or will never ever be worthy if we're thinking that we can't sin for three months right to be able to be worthy because we're going to sin every day we're going to yeah. pray to god and say we're really trying and then we're going to sin like five minutes later yeah and he knows <laughs> that and and he's so anyway he um, still is merciful yeah and he's oh and he'll forgive us every time or he'll help me on the test every time even though i told him i would study yeah <laughs> and i never <laughs> do never. i mean i try and i try to go to class and learn and do homework but good grief i never study for tests i know and this so. isn't like a plug to be like hey you know don't study for tests because god will help you like <laughs> I think it's important because I was trying, right. right? It's the intent. It's the intent. But if you go in there like, God's going to save me in the end anyways. And then, I don't care. Well, then, yeah. then he might not. And I <laughs> Just guess to it, see how you do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I guess it all goes to, yeah, that intent. Or I hear a lot in the church and in the scriptures, you know, turning your heart to God. Mm -hmm. You know, all he wants is just our aid, you know, not our agency, but to like give our hearts to him. Yeah. Because that's something he can't take from us. Is our, you know, he gives us our agency, lets us do whatever we want, but we have to turn and use our agency to have that intent to love him, to try to mm -hmm. be better. Amen. Anyway. And I, um, I was just going to say, as I've learned more about that, like it suddenly makes sense to me why when I was a missionary, we studied the plan of salvation. And it was always this catchphrase like, oh, agency was the key to the plan. Like, well, the reason for that is because. Uh, your choices, your desires, your intentions are actually what determine whether or not you're saved or damned. Like ultimately it's what you want. What do you want? And anyway, I just, that's cool. I, I wish that I had known that when I was a missionary Me too. so that I could talk more about how agency actually is what it's all about yeah. <laughs> and how you use that. Oh, I totally. And well, even teaching that on your mission and just being a missionary, mm -hmm. it's like, Oh, I got up at 631 today. God hates I know, me. I right? am not. Oh gosh. I have that awesome meeting with the investigator that wants to be baptized. He's going to, the devil's going to appear to him and tell him not yeah. to be baptized or something. I don't know. <laughs> something. But it's, it's crazy. And you, yeah. Oh. Missionaries especially. And it's because your, your standards are heightened to this, yeah. to the nth degree. And to the exact obedience, which is right. bogus. Yeah. My, the, the stripling was, warriors weren't exact obedient. I, I just, I can't believe that. Were I they? I don't know. Like, cause <laughs> I, cause I've been reading like with the same mentality lately. There's and no way. Like, a few weeks ago, I actually read the stripling warriors story and it says that they obeyed every word of their leaders with exactness. And I was like, no way they did that. No like, way. That cannot be true. Helaman, <laughs> you, you don't, <laughs> no way. Come Helaman, on. They did not. You don't have to indulge us. You don't have to. They were probably exaggerate. great young men and had good intentions, but yeah, no way were they. Exactly <laughs> no way. <laughs> It's so it's it's impossible to and be it's exactly toxic obedient. to read that and think I, I have, have to, to be, be obedient. Exactly obedient. Yeah, you know, and th and that just goes like you can believe that prophets can have mistakes too. Like mm -hmm. when they wrote that, they were exact obedient. God didn't tell them to change that. Yeah, He's just like you know what, we're gonna let that go. They can learn that that's right. not exactly true. And I think that that's important to say because uh, we don't want it. Again, we don't want this to come across as though we're saying like. Don't read the Book of Mormon. The right. Book of Mormon is oh, wrong. Totally. We're not saying that at all. But we are saying that a correct understanding of the nature of God will help you read the Book of Mormon through a proper lens. Absolutely. And you can read it like, okay, I see what this is actually saying, but I also understand that it's probably saying something more like this. Yeah. So like the idea is there, but it's also not expected. Yeah. Anyways. Right. So Taylor, you've been doing... We were talking before you've been doing like a, a study. Yeah. <laughs> or I don't know, call it a study or kind of just a, a learning process. I don't, I don't know. It was a study. A study of say. the atonement and repentance. Yeah. Sort of. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. This was actually, funny enough, this was suggested to me by my bishop. Um, <laughs> and uh, You listened to that council? I did. Oh, cool. <laughs> yes. I do listen to bishops. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he, he suggested uh, that I that I study repentance and having been a missionary and being like really deep in like all like the doctrine of Christ, you know, I kind of felt like I, I had a solid grasp on what repentance was. Um, cause this is very recent, you know, and I've already been through like all my stuff with, with the pornography. And like, I, I, I felt like I had a good grasp on that. And I almost went into it with that attitude. Like I already know, 
But then I was like, hang on. So maybe let's pretend like I don't know anything. Um, in order to understand repentance, let's pretend I, I know nothing about the gospel. In order to understand it, I need to know what the heck I'm repenting of. Like, So I need to know what sin is. Um, in order to understand what sin is, I need to know who Christ is. I need to know what the atonement, what he did. Um, let's pretend that I know nothing about that. So I went into the Book of Mormon with a completely blank slate because I have a tendency to read the Book of Mormon like, oh, yeah, it's this chapter. And then I just read the things that I expect and that I remember, you know, and that's what I pay attention to. But I tried to avoid that this time. Um, and this is like right around Easter time, actually, uh, because I decided to base my studies in the Come Follow Me suggestions for Easter. Um, so they were not like, it wasn't chronological, you know, it was like different samples from the Book of Mormon that deal with Christ's atonement. I'm like, okay, let's study these chapters. Let's see what I learn, pretending like I know nothing. Um, and that's how I went into it. And I, I learned a lot, I think, um, things that I already knew, but I started to see them in different ways. For example, um, something that I love about Abinadi and King Benjamin, by the way, King Benjamin, and I think Abinadi was, may have been a student of King Benjamin's because their talks, like their the things that they talk about are very, very similar and even in like structure. Um, but they, they both start off by talking about like, look, God, he's coming. He's really going to come like as a person and he's going to have the worst life you can imagine. And he's going to do this so that he understands what it's like to be a human. And the reason that that's important is so that when he becomes God again and becomes our judge, then he can be like, oh, yeah, I know what that's like. It's OK. So the whole point of him becoming a man they taught over and over again was that so that he could exercise mercy when he became our judge. And uh, I really love that about like that different sort of perspective. Like it's something I always knew. But for the first time, I was like, oh, like that's the whole reason he came down was so that he could go back with new information, you know, with a new idea. Like God knows everything, but he came down and he experienced it so he could get empathy. Right. And so first off the bat, God is incredibly merciful for that reason, because he knows what it's like. He's like, Oh yeah, man, I've been there, you know? Um, and secondly, both King Benjamin and Abed and I talk extensively about how, his atonement, his blood redeems people who are ignorant, who sin ignorantly. And I thought that that was an interesting thing for both of them to talk about um, because it kind of, I, I started to like step back. I'm like, so why are ignorant sinners saved, but the knowledgeable or the aware sinners condemned? unless they repent. Why is repentance only a condition for those who are aware of it? And it kind of made me realize that when you break it down, sin itself has no power. Um, and I think in the church, sometimes we accidentally give sin too much power. We make it too big. Like when we were talking earlier, like, you know, sexual transgression and murder, like the biggest sins. Uh, no, that's not true. Uh, sin actually is, has no size. It's, it's very, very powerless because if sin had any sort of power, um, then the ignorant would not be saved. Right. Because if, if, if I'm unaware that I'm sinning, but I sin anyway, uh, then that sin would unknown to me actually have an effect on my soul and damn me. But the scriptures say that that's not the case. The sin actually has no power over you. What, what has power over you, where the power comes from is whether it's your, it's your knowledge, really. It's whether or not you're aware of your sin. Um, because, uh, and I think I started to break it down even more. I like, I spend a lot of time reflecting on this and just trying to understand it. But I think that in the, at the end, because of that, uh, there's only one sin out there. Um, that sin doesn't actually exist in the way that we talk about it, but there is really only one sin available, and that is rebellion. Um, 
because both King Benjamin and Abinadi use the word rebellion a lot in their in their discourses, um, particularly when talking about people who who sin consciously, um, who come out in rebellion against God. And if you uh, are aware of of a of something of a sin, for example, and you commit it, that's you rebelling against God, right? Um, as opposed to somebody who is completely unaware, it is not an act of rebellion because they don't know that that's a thing. So, applying it to Latter Day Saints and the covenants that we make, right? Is it evil for me to drink a cup of coffee? Well, technically. No, the act of drinking coffee is not an act of evil, right? But because I am aware that I have made covenants and promised not to drink coffee, the act of drinking coffee for me would be an act of rebellion. Basically, the only reason I would have at this point to go drink a cup of coffee is if I want to stick it to God, you know, like, well, this is what I think of your covenants, you know, and that would be my whole intention behind drinking the coffee for somebody like Joe Schmo out in Nebraska somewhere, never heard of the church, never made covenants or anything like that. Coffee is not a problem. That's not a sin for him because he doesn't associate that with rebellion to God's commandments. And even at that point, like, I don't know that coffee, drinking coffee is a sin at all in general, but for me it would be because I've promised not to drink it. Does that make sense? And so like, what it all comes down to is, are you consciously, intentionally rebelling against God by doing this thing? Or are you completely unaware? So um, I also really liked, sorry, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to keep talking. Please, go I, ahead. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. So ahead. it ties in, this goes in with um, the stripling warriors we were talking about earlier. So you've got the anti-Nephi-Lehi's who they've spent their whole lives doing, you know, living this certain way and they decide that they don't want to live that way anymore. So they decide to make a covenant to never shed blood again. Is that a covenant directed by God? Are we commanded to make a covenant like that? No, uh, because that their covenant involved any scenario of shedding anyone's blood, even self-defense. And so, but like that was something that they wanted to do in their hearts. They're like, we promise like, this is never going to happen again. And that covenant was acceptable to God because that's who they offered it to. They're like, this is our expression of love, our expression of devotion to you. And so they promised not to do that. Well, then you fast forward to their sons, you know, like 20, 30 years later, however long it was, uh, where the Nephites are under attack. And these anti-Nephi-Lehi's, they're like, we should defend, like, we should help everyone. And then Helaman jumps in the prophet and he's like, no, 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 like don't do that. And it says that Helaman was afraid that they would lose their souls. And that always struck me as odd that they would lose their souls because it wasn't necessarily a priesthood covenant, a priesthood ordinance. Um, but that didn't matter because in their hearts, they had made that promise to God and that was binding for them. And so for them to pick up their swords and shed blood, even in self-defense, that would in some capacity be a a rebellion against that covenant they had made. It would be turning their back on a covenant that they associate with their loyalty to God. And that's why the, they would lose their souls for that. But their sons had not made that covenant because they hadn't lived that same lifestyle. And so they hadn't made that covenant. So they're like, yeah, we'll do it. Because for them, it wasn't a sin. It wasn't something that they associated with uh, a covenant to God. Like that was not part of their relationship at all. That was like the coffee, you know, for them to shed blood in self-defense is not actually sinful because it was not rebellious to their relationship with God. And so that was a major turning point in my perception of, of sin and even repentance for that matter, because it made me realize like, look, Sin doesn't actually exist in the way that we think it does. Uh, sin is basically just a, a word that we tack on to um, to describe a rebellious nature. And it's slowly 
over time, we've started applying it to everything. Like drinking coffee is a sin. Swearing is a sin. Uh, you know, being rude to people is a sin. Um, but for people who don't associate those things with their relationship to God, it's not necessarily sin because it's not actually rebellion. And that kind of gets a little hairy because then it starts the whole, it, it brings up the question, like, is sin relative? Is there an absolute truth? Does God have an absolute standard? And I, and I think he does. I think God does have an absolute standard, but ultimately God's absolute standard is to be kind and be loving and the commandments and all the things that we're commanded not to do are just there to help us foster that kindness and foster that love for other people. So yes, God does have an absolute truth and an absolute standard, but ultimately I think God just wants us to be loving and he wants us to be kind to each other. And uh, if we want to become like him, he's what? He's merciful. He's just, he does exactly what he says he will. Right. And that's why keeping covenants is so important to him. That's why it's so important that like, Drinking coffee would be a sin. Why? Because I said I wouldn't do it. And God always does what he says he will and won't do. So if I want to be like God, I have to stay away from the things that I've said I would stay away from. So like his standard is to just be, be honest, be true, have integrity, be kind, be loving. And I don't know. Uh, I think that's, those are the things that matter most to God. Um, and sometimes we, we lose sight of that. So as long as we're trying to be those things and say, oh, I got angry or I said some things I shouldn't have said or I did some things I shouldn't have done. But yeah. my ultimate goal is trying to right. be those things, right? Yeah. That makes sense to me that he'd be like, okay, cool. Let's try again. Let's try again. Let's yeah. try again. Let's try again. And a million times. And I've got to be. <laughs> gajillion different kids. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I've got to be honest. Like, I don't. Uh, I don't try to pretend that like all of this, what I'm saying is absolute truth. Like I'm completely open to the idea of being proven wrong about these things. But like, as I've studied the scriptures and as I've pondered my relationship to God and my understanding of his nature, this is the conclusion that I've come to. So if I were to ask you, if you were being completely honest, like does any part of what I'm saying, like, does this feel wrong? No. Like, like does it feel like it's, I have, apostasy because some no. sometimes i don't know some some people would consider this like that's an apostate thing to say and like you start thinking that way well then you you wind up leaving the church kind of deal and i could see how leading people away from the church that yeah god is loving come with me guys it's not a sin <laughs> let's leave the there church. is no sin no that's not what i'm saying at all right. but um i don't know i don't ever want to lead people astray in that way um, so ultimately I think it, it really just comes down to like, God wants us to have such a relationship with him that we just know where we stand and we know what's wrong. Like what's a sin for you might not be a sin for somebody else because of your relationship to God. And so as long as like, you need to be aware of that relationship and what are the things that God expects of you personally, and you need to, you know, strive to live up to those things instead of, you know, somebody else's standards. Um, and the church and the covenants that we make are an excellent guideline for that. And we should always, especially if you've made covenants in the church, whether in the baptismal font or in the temple, like those are things you've promised to do. So God expects you to live up to the things you've promised to do. And so always strive to do that. But it's also okay if you screw up because you're trying. And you're like, this is what you promised to do. And you're going to try to do that all your life and you'll never be quite perfect at it. But, uh, if, if it's in your heart, if it's in your intention and like your conscious actions are working you towards that, uh, I think that's what matters the most. Yeah. And luckily, you know, we have God's grace. <laughs> yeah. Luckily like that pretty much makes up for everything. And yeah, I'm so grateful to have that realization today that, we just need to be trying and we don't need to measure up to anything or compare ourselves to anybody. Mm -hmm. I feel like I have a really hard time with that personally, just comparing <laughs> myself. And I, I feel like that is so 
crazy toxic and oh yeah terrible and and it's so difficult to not do it yeah in especially in the church and i'm not sure exactly why that is maybe it's because we live in utah and there's like (laughs) sometimes like your righteousness is compared with you know because almost everybody you know is yeah everybody you live by yeah yeah so if you live slightly differently uh, people will look at you and they might not want to be yeah you know your friend or something or whatever and I don't know if that's that's true. It shouldn't be true, um, but I'm sure people have experienced that before. But for whatever reason, we do compare way too much. I think even on this podcast, I've had people on, and I'm like, "Wow, your trial's a lot harder than mine." <laughs> They're like, "No, no, <laughs> everybody, you know, has their things, and we all know, have different ultimate, capacities." Yeah, and the ultimate goal for God is just to us to return to Him and become like Him. So He's gonna do whatever he wants with each one of his children to reach that goal. I feel like, and there's always a way back. Like, I feel like I have to tell myself that all the time and try to understand that whatever I do, he's always going to be trying to, you know, have mercy and forgive me if I'm willing to. Yeah. And I've always believed. And I always say the moment you go to him, the moment you ask for forgiveness, what, what would stop him? from forgiving you, you know, I think he forgives you immediately right there. See, I love that. I'm so (laughs) glad you said that. (laughs) That's like one of the, my favorite things that you've said, you know, throughout like our, uh, saints unscripted videos. When you said that for the first time, that had such an impact on me. Hmm. I'm glad. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, thanks Taylor. Thanks for being on here. Thanks for sharing so much about you and your personal life and anytime and some of your relationship <laughs> with God. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it I, I've, it's had such an impact on me and I hope it's had an impact on our viewers and listeners. And hopefully you can take away something from today that will help you and help you come closer to God and, and just be sure to comment below. If you have any questions for Taylor, you know, you'll see Taylor a lot on saints unscripted, So make sure to watch the Saints Unscripted videos. Um, Also, you know, for this podcast specifically, and I'm sure with Saints Unscripted videos, is we we really want you to comment below and interact with us and, you know, send us messages on Instagram. We we like questions. We we love that. We love interacting with you. And um, if you have, you know, questions about, you know, particular topics... Or, or for suggestions for future episodes that might help you or loved, your loved ones or your friends, please do that. Please comment because we will read them and we'll try our best to to listen to them and make make videos and other content for you. So yep. um, thanks for watching. Thank you, Taylor. Um, and Yeah, and we'll see you again in the next video. Next time on the Saints Unscripted podcast. Why couldn't he do this for me? And I think that's kind of... Uh, where I kind of hit a wall for a while, for quite a few years. Um, But until I I started to accept myself and realizing there's nothing wrong with me. And every, the pieces started coming together and fit and, oh, oh. And I've never been closer to my savior than I am now having understood who I am, and I'm daughter of God. This is a Saints Unscripted original podcast and is hosted and executive produced by me, Jacob Watson, and Saints Unscripted. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. We'll catch you next time.